Well, thank you, Charles. That's great, isn't it? Great opportunity to be family together and to share uh, together as community of people as we're trusting God together and leading other people closer to him. I hope you're ready to hear from God's word uh, today. Um, I think our youth are going as well by the look of it. Uh, thank you, Andy, for taking the guys out there. Today I want to speak uh, quite candidly, quite honestly, uh, quite openly, because I'm a little bit concerned today, and I'm filled with hope, and I'm filled with excitement about what God wants to do. Uh, and this mixture of concern and hope is, is I think it's going to come through in what I share today. So uh, I'm going to be reading in a, in a little while from 1 Samuel 16, um, but I want to just ask a couple of questions to start with. How are you doing? Fine. I had a great response. Fine. Who said fine? Somebody said fine. Wonderful. How British. (laughs) Completely meaningless answer, isn't it? Fine. When was the last time you sensed God powerfully? The last time when God took your breath away? The last time when the presence of God was so profound and so manifest, so present that you were undone in his presence. When was the last time? Tuesday. So what happened Wednesday onwards? Now Tuesday's good, isn't it? That's fairly recent. That's exciting. Life groups. Get yourself in a life group. I think these ladies are talking about being in life group and what God's doing there. When was the last time? When was the last time you sensed that intimacy of God's presence and his spirit when you were praying and you knew God at work with power? You know, you, you'll have had those times, I'm sure, when, when someone's sick and you, you just know you've got to pray and there's a, there's a ah, what's the word? Not an anger at the sickness, not a, not a frustration, but a sense of boldness as you pray. And you pray and you say, come on. And God turns up and God heals. And put someone set free and you're like, come on, that's what it's all about. Those times when God is powerfully at work. Maybe it's been very recent. Maybe it's been as recent as Tuesday. How exciting. Maybe it's been a little bit of a longer time ago. And it's not this Tuesday or the one before or the one before. But you're thinking back when I said, when was the last time you felt God powerfully? You're thinking back to last year or the year before or to 10 years ago. You know, we're a Pentecostal church. That means we're founded in and we love the presence of God and the power of God and experiencing God. We've got a history of revival. Revival that was started in, uh, in America and Sweden and the UK almost simultaneously as God was at work in different countries and now has spread across the world with hundreds of millions of people experiencing the same thing. Having amazing experiences in God's presence, crazy experiences, unusual experiences, God experiences, as God presences himself and people's lives are changed. This church itself was started 90 years ago this year. 90 years ago this year. And some of you will have heard of two brothers called the Jeffries brothers. And uh, in that time, about 90 years ago, they were traveling around the country preaching. One of them came here, uh, an invitation of some ladies who'd been praying and meeting and, and preached uh, down near the Pantiles 
and people were healed and people were saved and so a little church began. And our story goes back to those days. Methodist churches were started when two brothers, different brothers this time, John and Charles Wesley, were preaching. And uh, often kicked out of churches because they weren't allowed to preach in them. John would preach outside. And hundreds and thousands of people would come and hear him preach and passionately proclaim the word of God. And as he preached, people responded. And sometimes they responded in unusual ways. Same with George Whitfield when he was preaching. Both these guys, John Wesley and George Whitfield, preached in Tunbridge Wells years ago. There's a plaque on a building down near the Pantiles where John Wesley preached. There's a plaque up near the new estate where there was the hospital and it's now um, insurance building and the new, new free school up there. There's another plaque for where Whitfield preached in the town. And so these two guys came to Tunbridge Wells and preached and proclaimed the word of God. And thousands of lives were changed. And again, unusual things happened as the Spirit was at work. Things that were, made people feel a little bit uncomfortable. But thousands were changed. Salvation Army was birthed when passionate evangelists, William Booth, determined that this nation needed. He decided that he couldn't just stay doing what he was doing. He decided this nation needed a move of God again. And the symbol of the Salvation Army of, of blood and fire, talking about the blood of Jesus and the fire of the Holy Spirit, where lives are transformed because God's at work. And again, set up an organization that was dealing with the broken, the downtrodden, the drunk, the abused, the abuser, all coming to find Christ. You know, we love talk of revivals. We love to, several of our groups, I noticed this with our life groups this time, we've got at least two groups talking about revival and, and several others on similar theme. We love as a church talking about a move of God when the Spirit comes. And when, we know when the Spirit comes, things get messy, don't we? We know that when the Spirit of, Spirit of God comes and he touches raw parts of us, things get a bit messy. You know, as Judith's been sharing this morning, she she shared about us being in need and trusting God, and our response was, was quite restrained, and that's okay. We are in public, after all. But there are times when, even when we're in public, our response can't be restrained anymore. And there's a cry that comes for our, from our hearts to God out of desperation. And there are times like that in the Gospels where, where people push through crowds to get to Jesus. Such is their desperation to meet with him. Those are the times when people see God at work. Those are the times when God responds to the hunger of people's hearts and says, yes, here you go. This is just what you asked for. My concern, or my excitement is for revival and what God wants to do. My concern is that often I find myself being quite comfortable. And I find myself settling down. You know, if you talk to people... Uh, and you, and you've, if you've had a transient kind of life and you've lived in different places, you'll have family members asking you if you're planning to settle down anytime soon. Do you know? And if you've had a bit of a, a, an up, kind of bit of upheaval in your life, people are hoping for the quieter day. People, many of us look forward to a day when we can retire and stop. The truth being, of course, that there's no such thing, really, in God's kingdom. 
You might change role. You might change season. You might change emphasis. But actually God's purpose and God's plan for our lives demands and requires that we're full on and fully engaged with him constantly through every year of our lives. Certainly in the Bible, many of the most powerful people are older and in their older years, but they're still passionate for the King of Kings and for serving God. And we all need a passion and a zeal and a fire that stays with us through the whole of our lives. It isn't just something for the young. And if you found yourself getting to a stage in life where you're thinking, all these songs and all this fuss, and oh, let the younger people do it, then please hear my cry today. Don't. Don't step back. Don't take a comfy seat. Don't get the lounge chair out. You know the ones that recline? And you sit back and you put your feet up and you can watch. I don't believe in the kingdom of God we're called to be spectators. I believe we're called to be participants. Jules had a a thought earlier on that she shared with us, and and I didn't think it was the right time then, but I think it's the right time now. She was just sharing about Joshua. And this passage from Joshua 1 verse 9, where God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. And your sense, Jules, was that we're all part of the army of God. We're all called to be part of the body of Christ and the army. Is that right? wonderful so she's saying i don't know if you can all hear but she could sense that god's leading us into the promised land as an army of god's people and when we get to the promised land there's rest and it's this sense of god wants to bring healing and rest and answers but at the same time we're called to push through and that's that's the sense i think we're seeing today you know there's a tendency to get predictable thank you so much if you came uh, about 10 o'clock ish you'll have heard me say please would you come forward thank you for those who did thank you for sitting on a different chair because I know what it's like. You know, we get to certain points, and today's not the great day for doing this, but I get, we get to certain points in church life where you could almost put your name... I've thought about this, and, and I remember years ago, almost did this with some of our team. We almost put names under the chairs and, and asked the question, are you sitting on the right chair when you came in? Because we get to such a habit where you sit in the same chair. In fact, a few years ago, just to mess things up a bit, we rearranged the chairs completely differently. Some of you remember we had week after week when the chairs were completely different. My favorite was the time when we had two aisles at the back and three aisles at the front. And you couldn't go from, uh, no, sorry, one aisle at the back. That's where you had to come in, go down the back, and then it broke, and there was a solid line of chairs, and then we had three aisles, and it, and it caused absolute chaos. would have been terrible if it had a fire because you couldn't have got out properly. But the whole idea was just to shake things up a bit and mess things up a bit and get us to sit differently because when you sit somewhere different, you see a different perspective, don't you? But we get comfortable and we get familiar. And my concern today, my deep ache of a concern is that perhaps we get too familiar. I want to read from 1 Samuel chapter 16. And last week we were looking at David being chosen. This week we're looking at him being anointed. And these are the words from 1 Samuel 16. I've actually, do follow it in your Bibles if you've brought a Bible, but I, this time I have managed to get all the words on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Version. It says this, so, David, so as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil, He had brought and anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, and you'll soon be well again. All right, Saul said. Find me someone who plays well and bring him here. 
One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. He's also a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David, the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. And Saul sent word to Jesse, asking, Please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp, and Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. Last week we spoke about being chosen, and I talked about David the king of Israel, who is going to be, or the guy who is going to become king. And we talked about Saul, who currently is king. And there's a man called Samuel, who's a priest, prophet, kind of character, this, this, this extra role that he, he occupies. And he's, he's serving in God's temple. And he's called by God, and he, he anoints kings. He speaks on behalf of God, and we see him kind of bridging the gap between Saul and David. So here... In this passage, we see David being anointed by Samuel. Chosen by God and anointed by Samuel in front of his brothers. And we spoke at that sense of calling, and I want to look at this sense of anointing. And and anointing has different meanings. Literally, it's a type of oil that's used. There's an anointing oil, and the the recipe, the formula is given in the Old Testament for what to include in this oil. The items in the tabernacle the place of worship for the Jewish people, were anointed with oil and prayed over and marked out as being special. Often the oil means a marking out as something special. The priests were anointed. The king was anointed, as we see here with David's story. In fact, our queen, Queen Elizabeth, was anointed with oil by the Archbishop of Canterbury as part of her coronation ceremony. There's still this sense that kings and queens are anointed for service. And and the Bible carries this rich sense that we need God's choosing, God's marking out, God's calling, that we're anointed by God for his service. And that's what's happening here. There's a physical anointing that's happening, but also a spiritual one, because the, the anointing also refers to the Holy Spirit, who's here coming upon David. And I want to pick up on these two things. Now, you'll be pleased to know this is not something we're going to reenact today. Sometimes we have visual sermons, and this is not one of those. I'm not going to ask someone to come up and anoint them with oil. Obviously, it can't be me because I've got a microphone on, and that might get wet and, and destroyed. But the, uh, we could have got someone here, Pete's ideal, because he's on the front row now, and he could have come up, and we could have anointed him with oil, poured it on his head. Because and, and, David is having a physical anointing. He stood in front of his brothers. And I want you to imagine the scene. He's standing there. And Samuel takes a flask of olive oil and he pours it on David. Now, we're English, many of us. You may, we may be thinking that maybe he just sort of went like that and did a little cross on his forehead. But Samuel's a good Jewish bloke and I, I imagine that he's, he kind of gets this flask out and just pours and carries on pouring. Can you imagine what that's like as you stood with your brothers around and, and you've got olive oil running down your head? And running into your hair. Uh, and maybe if he's, I know he's a young guy, but maybe he's got a little bit of stubble forming. And running into his stubble and down the back of his neck and down his 
kind of garments and as he stood there and he's now got olive oil running down his back and it's getting sticky and you know there's a physical anointing that's taking place as he's he's marked out and this is only happening to David everyone else is watching us there's this pouring of oil going on this physical anointing but there's also a spiritual anointing as the spirit comes it says here and the spirit of the lord came powerfully upon David from that day on the spirit is connected to the anointing god responds to physical displays of faith and are stepping out Judith mentioned earlier that we've got a baptism coming in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, if you've not been baptized, please do speak to us about that. Uh, that's what we're planning to have, and we're, we're trusting that there'll be people getting baptized. I think we've got one person already. We're, we're just open to see if anybody else wants to come. But in, those are cu- the kind of moments where God responds to outworked faith. Baptism is a sign where we, we get wet, and there's nothing special about the water. There's nothing special about about that moment, but we see God so many times responding as we have a physical action that marks out our faith and God turns up with his spirit and his power at those times. We share communion together and again, we we get this glass table and we bring it down and we put it roughly here or roughly here. It's always in roughly the same place and we have some bread and we have some juice and it's just bread and it's just juice. It's been prepared for us and got ready, but we don't do anything special to it. It's just bread. But there's something physical that reminds us of Jesus' death for us. And in that moment, we meet with God. Uh, And we find God meeting us at our point of need as we trust him with something physical, a sign. And he responds. That correspondence between the physical and the the spiritual, we see again and again as as Jesus is is there in the temple. And there's a man with a withered hand. And Jesus could have just said, I'll be healed. But he says, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches out his hand and is healed. Again and again, we see this connection between the physical and the spiritual. Jesus, again, another time, makes mud of the ground and spits on the ground, makes some mud and puts it on a blind man's eyes. Why he does it, I don't know. But there's this connection between the physical and the spiritual, and the man is healed. We're going to take up an offering later on, and there's, there's something very spiritual and physical about taking offering receiving offerings and giving in offerings as we give we're we're giving out of the god's riches and his abundance to us and as we take that physical step we find god spiritually meeting us in those moments the connection between spiritual and physical and here we've got david saturated saturated in oil and saturated with the holy spirit covered in it You know, there are stories in Scripture where the presence of God is so strong. 2 Chronicles 7. David's son, Solomon, has built a temple to David's design. And he stood in the temple, place of worship to God, and he's prayed. whole chapter of a prayer. It's a long prayer. And then chapter 7, 2 Chronicles 7 opens with these words. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and worshipped and praised the Lord saying, He is good, His faithful love endures 
forever. What must that have been like? Where the fire of God and the presence of God comes so powerfully that even the priests who are designed to be their mates, kind of their, that's their whole job, they can't even get into the temple because God's presence is so manifest. How long has it been? How long has it been since you knew the manifest presence of God? Was it this morning in, in a quiet place in your house as you shut the door and the presence of God was so thick and so real that you didn't want to leave but you dragged yourself out to come to church? Was that your experience this morning? Or was it the more typical one where the, the kids are playing up and the car won't start and you can't think of what to wear and you trip over the end of the bed and you, you stub your toe? And Was it that? How long did you go back before you're in that rich place of the presence of God? Because I'm concerned that for some of us it's been too long. But this sense of standing, not covered in olive oil, but covered in the presence of God. It's, it's maybe been too long. You see, David here is chosen as king, and, and we don't share this anointing. We don't share the same anointing to be king of Israel. That's David's alone but this coming on us of the Holy Spirit is ours. It's available to us because the promise in Acts chapter 2 is that the Spirit of God would come and come upon all flesh, men and women, uh, young men, young women, boys, girls, that all would receive the Spirit of God. And that's our promise. This same anointing uh, of the Holy Spirit, not to be king but to be anointed by God, is ours and available to us. But my concern is we can have the Spirit in name only but not in experience. And I don't want that. The Spirit comes on us in two ways. We were singing just earlier about becoming children of God. The Spirit of God comes in two ways. He comes when we become Christians. When we come to Christ, the Spirit's been at work and He comes into our lives and He assures us of our salvation. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us that we know that we're God's children and we can call out Abba Father. But the Spirit also comes in a baptism as he empowers us and fills us for, for his service. And he empowers us for, to, to serve Jesus, to, to be a witness, to do the things that Charles was talking about earlier, to make a difference in people's lives. We need both of these uh, operations of the Spirit in our lives. And, and the key result of the Spirit coming is, is seen in David's life. And we, we see it in verse 18 in this passage. And it says this, that he, in a description about him, it says, the Lord is with him. The Lord's with him because the Holy Spirit's come on him. Now, flip over to what I think is possibly one of the saddest verses in the Bible, which is this next one. The very next verse. That's the verse 13. Look, verse 14. The start of it says this, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. No, doesn't that make your heart ache? This sense that the Spirit of the Lord had left him? Man. And my concern is, I don't know if he even noticed. I don't know if he even noticed that the Spirit had gone. So he was still king. Saul was still the king. He still had authority. He still had people doing what he wanted. He still looked the same from the outside. The crown was the same. The robes would have been the same. Everything was the same. And yet God had left him 
And I wonder how long it took before he realized. He's not here at this scene. He hasn't watched David being anointed, but the, the, the story that we've got unfolding in front of us that's talking about David takes a, it's like when you're watching a film and there's a cutaway to a, another scene somewhere else. And you see a little bit of that scene unfolding and then you cut back to the main scene again. We just get a little bit of this cutaway back to Saul and we see the spirit having already gone from him. And then we're back to David again. But what a sad verse. Oh, when the anointing goes. Now, our theology tells us and our Bible tells us that when the Spirit of God comes on us as Christians, he comes to remain. Jesus promises us a Spirit who remains with us. He doesn't come and go. He remains with us. He's ours. We're his. We have complete assurance of the remaining of the Spirit. And yet at the same time, in our experience, in our sense of God being with us, there are times when you know that God's with you. And there are times you wake up and you realize, what's happened to me? And my concern in my own life and perhaps for yours is that the gap between realizing that the Spirit's not there in quite the same way and us, and us actually become, sorry, that the Spirit actually not being there in quite the same way and us realizing it can be quite long. Because at times we get busy. We get full up with stuff that we're doing and, and we get caught up in activity and life and stuff comes in and, and we forget that, that we don't have the Spirit of God at work in our lives in the same way. I was chatting to somebody the other day and reflecting on the fact that when I used to bump into people and meet them uh, and casually, normally the question that people asked as a flippant introductory question to get the conversation going onto more important things was, you all right? Because you don't really want to know, do you? But you just want to kind of get a conversation going, get it established, and then you're onto something else. These days I've noticed over the last five or so years, it seems to be, you busy? Are you busy? often comes in with the first sentence of, of a conversation. You're like, how do you answer that? And what's the point of asking if someone's busy? We're all busy. You can be busy sitting on the sofa flicking channels, can't you? Oh, I'm very busy. I've got another one to flick to in a minute. You can be busy doing anything. Busy doesn't equal productive. Busy doesn't equal being in the presence of God. Busy doesn't equal being anointed and carrying the presence of God with us and my ache is that I think we've got busy and I, I just concerned that like Saul perhaps perhaps God's had to go and work somewhere else because something's changed in our hearts and yes he's, as Christians we know he's with us but actually the, where the action is is somewhere else and I want to just talk for a minute about why the anointing goes and how we can stay anointed. The anointing goes from Saul because he abandoned the Spirit of God himself. He chose to abuse the anointing he had. He overstepped his authority. The story goes of Saul that he, needed to, he was waiting for Samuel to come to make an offering and then people were going to go into battle and he, he decided after waiting a week that Samuel wasn't coming. And he decided to offer the, offer the offering anyway. Now you might think, well, he's waited a long time. Fair enough. But he was the king, not the priest. It wasn't his job to make the offering. And he, Saul is a guy who doesn't think much of himself. 
He, he, he tries to control everything. He's a bit paranoid. He's got a low self-esteem. Um, despite being king, despite being head and shoulders taller than everybody else, he's got loads of authority, but he doesn't see it in himself. And what that means is that he en- ends up despising the authority that God's given him and the anointing God's given him, and he treats it flippantly. And there's a danger that when we have a warped view of ourselves, even if it's a, a view of low esteem, we then warp the things that God wants to say to us and God has done in our lives. And having a low self-image sometimes can fill us with pride, bizarrely, because we end up thinking of ourselves all the time. Some wise man once said that humility is not thinking less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. You get the difference? So it's not diminishing myself. It's just not thinking about myself much and trusting God. That maybe is humility. And Saul was one who did think about himself a lot and he did think about his reputation. He constantly thought about what other people were thinking of him. And he finds himself with his army beginning to disappear and they're beginning to go away and so he makes an offering that's not his to offer. And then Samuel arrives and says, what are you doing? What's this smell? What's, what's going on? Why, is, why, can I, why do I know there's been an offering? And Saul's response, it's another way we can lose the anointing of God, is that he gets defensive. That when we're challenged by God and when the word of God comes, if you're defensive, you're in a dangerous place. If you're defensive, you're putting up your barriers and saying, God, you've got no right to judge me. You've got no right to speak. And Saul does the same instantly. He gets defensive. And we're going to get to this in another week. But when you look at David's life, he makes a pig's ear of some really big stuff. He makes a big mess. Bigger than Saul. And yet the Spirit stays on David. And he leaves Saul. And you might think that seems really unfair. All Saul did was have a barbecue. And all David does is adultery and murder and all sorts of other things. And how can God stay with one and leave the other? The difference is in the response of David's heart. And when Saul is, convic- when Saul is challenged, he defends and defends. And eventually, when he realizes that Samuel's serious, that God's going to leave him, he then says, oh, I'm very, very sorry. You know, you know what that's like when you're, you're repenting because of guilt and because of the consequences, not repenting because your heart's touched? It's fear-based repentance rather than actual godly sorrow. And in this moment, Saul's fear-based and he's repenting. Whereas when David is challenged about some of the things he does, he says, yeah, it's me. God, forgive me. And there's a godly response in David where he's not defensive, but where he responds to God's challenge. Saul is independent from God. David is dependent on God. Let me give some positives, because I want us to, to, to be more anointed by God. How do we stay anointed? How do we be the people like David who stay anointed, who stay in God's presence, who stay filled with his power? Number one, If you're taking notes, I haven't got these on the screen. Keep an eye on your heart. David was a man after God's heart. Saul lost track of his. Don't allow frustration to take its place in your heart. Number two, maintain intimacy with God. I've started, it's New Year-ish, February. I've started again, new Bible plan, working through... The Bible and the one I'm using this year, same one I used last year, 
gives a bit of the Old Testament, a bit of the New Testament, and some of the Psalms. And I'm just love, loving reading these Psalms of David as he's expressing his heart, as he's worshipping God, as he's calling out to God in turmoil. In, but there's a sense of intimacy that David is a man who's saying, God, I want you. God, I want you with all that I have. I long for you. And I tell you, if you want to maintain anointing and maintain the presence of God, rediscover intimacy with God again. If you've lost it, if you've got busy, if, and I'm looking at myself when I'm saying this, if we've got busy, then it's time to maintain intimacy again. You know, I've listened to so many sermons and preached quite a few where the answer to everything is to read your Bible and pray. And life isn't that simple. But actually maintaining intimacy is that simple. It's about sitting beneath God's word and, and letting God speak and spending time in his presence. It really is simple. And yet it's the one thing that we sometimes don't do. You know what it's like. The very thing you know you should do and you don't do. You know, when you're a kid and your parents are telling you to tidy your room. But yeah, whatever, it's fine. It's my room. As long as I can climb in and climb out, it'll be fine. When you go to the, I had the joy of going to the dentist this, uh, recently, just this week and a couple of weeks before. A couple of fillings I needed. And I, I'd, I was hoping the dentist would ask me a particular question. And he did, but I was so worked up about getting the right answer that I actually gave the wrong answer. So um, I was hoping the dentist would ask me, do you floss regularly? Because my answer could be yes. Because regularly just means in a, in a pattern, doesn't it? So my pattern happens to be before I go to the dentist, I floss. And he did ask me, do you floss regularly? And because and I, and I, I, I was hoping, it was, hoping I wasn't going to say frequently, because that was my concern. If he says frequently, then I have to kind of quantify that. Actually, every day these days. But um, you know what I mean? Wait, we're trying to get the word right. And I, I panicked a little bit, and I thought, did he say frequently or regularly? And so I just blurted out how often I flossed, and he, he told me what I needed to do. And then said I needed some fillings. If you've lost that sense of intimacy with God, it can feel odd when you sit back in God's presence again. It can feel awkward and uncomfortable. And it's, if, let me, hear me, please. If you're sensing that God's anointing isn't on your life in the same way it once was. If when I'm saying, where, when did you last know that God was with you? And you're having to look back beyond Tuesday. Take time out and be with him. Be like David. But it's going to feel odd if it's been a while since you've had those moments of intimacy with God. It will be a little bit like exercising for the first time or the second time or the third time. Uh, and, and when you're doing it, when you're exercising for the first time, you probably think you're going to die. And it feels unnatural. I did some jogging a few years ago. Thankfully, my doctors told me I shouldn't run on the roads, which is great. Not literally on the road, pavement, funny knee and all the rest of it. Please don't pray for my knee. It stops me running. And I quite like that. But I remember going out running and thinking, I am going to die. And it was a great for times of prayer because I just run, well, jog, walk, jog thing. Say, so, Lord, I'm coming home any moment now. I'll be in your presence. But it felt odd to my body to be running like that. And it will feel odd if you're praying and seeking God. If you're going to that place of intimacy, you'll shut the door. And you'll think, oh, I, I know I need to get intimate with God again. And then thoughts will crowd your mind about the things you need to do that day. About all the other things that you should be doing. 
And you'll find 101 excuses about why you shouldn't pursue intimacy with God. Folks, we've got to. The world needs an anointed people. The world needs people like David, not like Saul. These people who carry the Spirit of God and can go into the dark places. We need another revival. We need revival like the Salvation Army or like the early Pentecostals or like the Methodists or like George Whitfield coming, whoever it is. We need God to move and that requires an army of people filled with the Spirit of God who aren't being comfortable but are pressing in, who are guarding our hearts and who are open to God speaking. Quickly, let me just wrap up with a couple of other things that we can do to avoid, or to, to stay anointed. Avoid jealousy. Avoid jealousy. David has to not be jealous of Saul. Saul becomes jealous of David. If you want to be anointed by God, avoid jealousy, avoid bitterness, avoid judgments of others, avoid destroying another's credibility or rejoicing in another's downfall. One of the saddest bits of news I hear from time to time is of a church leader who's fallen in some way or a church that's collapsed. I hate hearing those stories. It doesn't matter who it is. And some people tell them with glee. You know, like when a celebrity has come to crashing down and you tell the story with a glint or a politician's failed. I hate hearing those stories. When I'm living with God, when I'm anointed, when I'm seeking intimacy. But you know, when I'm not, there's sometimes a little bit of justification, a little bit of glee that, well, I didn't like that person anyway. It's a good sign. Avoid lust and satisfying a desire for God via other means. You know, we're meant to have good desires. We're meant to have cravings and desires, which, but actually all those, all those point to God. All of our desires ultimately are satisfied in Him and just avoid things that just satisfying our senses briefly, but they're not actually answering that cry to, to satisfy ourselves in God. Finally, avoid comfort. Folks, I think we need to watch out for comfort. Watch out for having enough. Watch out for being comfortable, for having just all that we need. Because a lack of need insulates us from dependence on God. And it's dependence on God that cultivates intimacy. Dependence on God cultivates intimacy in our lives. And intimacy provides ground for God to speak. And as we obey God's voice, we're anointed. Just read that little, I've actually written this one down. Watch out for comfort. Because lack of need insulates us from dependence on God. Dependence on God cultivates intimacy, and intimacy provides the ground for God to speak. And as we obey God's voice, we receive the anointing. I'm going to finish there. I want to issue a challenge to me and to you. If you feel like you're like Saul, and the Spirit of the Lord has left, if you're a Christian and you've been filled with the Spirit, he hasn't left. He's still with you. But it may just be some time since you've spent time in his presence, since you've known him, because you've got busy, or your heart's got damaged, or you've allowed sin to take hold. Friends, it's time for an inward revival again. It's time for us to respond. It's time for us to put ourselves in David's place and receive the Holy Spirit again that we might be a people empowered. This community needs us. Folks, this year, God's going to do some stuff in this church and amongst us that we can't do by ourselves. 
We can't. The best planning, the best modeling, the best, best working out we can do on a spreadsheet and a Word document and church suite and all the other stuff, we cannot do what God wants us to do this year. Trust me. We just can't. We need the Spirit of God. So I'm asking, would you pray with me? Please. Would you pray for me? Please. Would you pray for yourselves that we might see the Spirit of God move again amongst us? I don't know if you can hear how desperate I am, but I am. We need God's Spirit to move. One final encouragement with, from a psalm I was reading. I said I was reading psalms. This is one I read. Psalm 9. Verse 10. I can find it. New Bible. Here we go. Psalm 9. Verse 10. For those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. You, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I thank you today that you love us so much. You want to anoint us and empower us. You want us not to start another denomination. We've got enough. But you do want us to be the people of God called by your name. Lord, you want this gang of people here, this congregation to be filled with your spirit. And we say, Lord, would you come amongst us? Father, for some of us, it's been too long since we knew your spirit moving amongst us. It's been too long. We've got comfortable, we've got busy, we've got caught up with other things. And Lord, we pray for your forgiveness. Lord, sometimes our hearts even have gone away from you and we've turned to other things. And God, we cry out that we might know your anointing again. Holy Spirit, come in this place. Come. Lord, we thank you that when you do, you come with love. You come with peace. You come with joy. You come with fruit that is good. You come because we're your children and you love us and you want to lavish your Spirit on us. You come not to condemn, but to bless and you come that we might go as your people to be the answer to this world and to point to you. And God, I pray for a fresh pour outpouring of your Spirit on us today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way amongst us. And Lord, we're aware that might get messy. Be like David with the oil running down his head, down his shirt, down his back. It might be a, bit, a little bit like that when your Holy Spirit moves, but Lord, we just pray that you'd move amongst us. Would you come? In Jesus' name. Amen.